Welcome to the Mile 99 Interview Series Podcast with your hosts, Paulo Medina and Greg Larkin. Wherever you're listening, we hope you enjoy the show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for episode number two of the Mile 99 Interview Series. Um, our Mile 99 Interview Series is... Uh, Basically, uh, a place to find out what makes our friends and runners tick. We find out how they got into running, what are they doing with their running, and how are they handling this situation. I am here in Auburn, California at the 8th station. Uh, beer is still cold. I'm pouring really good. And uh, the shoes haven't left. So when you guys are ready, you'll be welcome in. And I am here with Greg, my co-host. Uh, Greg? Thanks, Paulo. Uh, yeah, so everybody, any, anyone that's uh, new to this uh, series, uh, as Paulo said, we're just um, running a weekly series every Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have different ultra runners and people in the ultra running community join us and just dig in and talk about all kinds of things that we just aren't able to learn uh, at, the, at this time. Like we, we exchange a lot of information out on the trails a lot of the time when we run with each other. And a lot of us have been missing that. So the idea here is to just um, sit down with somebody every week, find out a little bit more about them. Um, it may be somebody that we do run with or we haven't run with before, find out what their story is, what kind of races they've been doing, uh, what sort of training they, they um, do, and just try to um, just foster a sense of community here. And that's really the goal. And just try to keep our Auburn and greater Auburn and, and greater California community strong and uh, get through this uh, little temporary setback that we've got going on right now. So uh, I just want to shout out to Mike Turner. He's um, got his, I think it's video off right now, but he's in the background and what he's doing is monitoring all the chat rooms and the Facebook comments and all that. And once we get to the uh, live Q and A section at the end of this um, interview, then he'll uh, start uh, getting some questions in from the audience. So you can kind of post things along the way uh, and he'll collect those and then call on people at the end. And hopefully we'll get some good questions like we did last week. Um, anybody that's watching on Facebook right now, if you want to drop a comment, just say where you're watching from or say hi. That's that's always welcome as well. So um, anyway, so moving right along tonight, we have an, an ultra runner. Uh, some of you, I think, know him really well. Others may not be as familiar. Um, but in my mind, I've seen some of his accomplishments over the last few years, and I've always been super impressed with him. Uh, I think we're in the same age group now and I look up to this guy and I, I, he's, he's a fast guy. He's done some incredible races and had some incredible achievements over the last couple of years. And I just really wanted to find out what makes him tick. You know, I don't know if we've actually run together before. I know we've been in some races. You've been ahead of me maybe. Uh, and, and I just we, wanted we, to, we've definitely been in the start lines together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and so I just wanted to find out a little bit more about him and, uh, you know, just, hear about some of these things he's been doing the last few years so everyone this is kelly barber yeah thanks gentlemen for having me yeah i appreciate you making the time um i know that uh i'm sure there's lots of stuff going on uh, but just having the time to sit down with us and spend a little a little time is, is great so we really appreciate it um so just to give everyone a little bit of background here uh kelly's a, a california native uh grew up in red bluff upper uh, more in the northern part of the state um, and then went to school at UC Davis. And if I'm um, correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you've been in Davis like ever since you graduated generally? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those probably amongst many UC Davis graduates that never quite escaped from Davis. So uh, yeah, we, we, we settled in here. I live in Woodland these days, but so, you know, I've moved all of six miles. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm glad to be held in high regard as a, as an Auburn local, because I still aspire to be uh, up there more often, but uh, yeah, still still in the valley. Well, and I know you're active too with the Donner Party uh, Mountain Runners, right? Yeah, I, I certainly got got in early early with them, so uh, you know I can kind of work my way up the hill to find somebody to run with if they're not usually in the canyons anyway. So right, right, yeah. So you got a you got a good sized range <laughs> you can draw from. It sounds like. So that's great. Um, yeah, so Paulo, if you want to dive into a little bit about Kelly's uh, intro to running, perhaps. 
For sure. Yes. So, Kelly, I learned uh, that you first did a few triathlons back in the 2008 or around that time. Uh, then eventually got your feet dirty, so to speak, uh, getting into trail running um, a little bit around 2012. Well, and now it's uh, you've done a little bit of road races, um, so road racing, triathlons, trail running, so you've done some cycling. Um, so what else have you done that we haven't learned so far? I know that you've, you've, uh, you've helped at a different pacing groups, um, right? So that needs to keep you active on the road. Um, so tell us. Yeah, I mean, from a, from a starting point, just to maybe go back a little bit. Yeah, I, I started into running fairly late. Um, you know, growing up, I was more of a downhill skier. Um, summers I spent sailing, um, was a competitive, just single hand sail, sailor. So once I got, once I got into college, I really kind of got busy with work and just pretty much worked for 15, 20 years until I needed to get back in shape. And that was like you were saying around the triathlon years as um, I was telling Greg earlier that my kind of athletic career somewhat coincided with Facebook because I was scrolling back. If, if you scroll back and I think it's posted on there, the very first picture that somebody sent me on Facebook was from my 20 year high school reunion of which I was completely horrified at how much weight I had gained from when I was had graduated from high school and decided I, I've got to do something. I've got to get back in shape. So um, that, that translated to getting back to swimming in the pool. And, uh, so, you know, kind of from there swam for a couple of months, started getting a little bit more fit. And, uh, it happened that our, our club that I was swimming at was doing this, what they called an Ironman challenge, which was, they said, mm -hmm. take a month and, swim the distance of an Ironman, run the distance of an Ironman, and bike the distance of an Ironman. And I, you know, thinking back on some of your questions earlier this week, I was thinking that I, I was probably running between somewhere between like one mile and three miles on the treadmill, which was the cap of which I wanted to run at one shot. And, um, but got through it. And after that, decided maybe I'd take on a triathlon and that kind of became the the, the gateway drug to getting back into shape and to competing. So I did, ha um, you know, Olympic triathlon up to uh, um, half was the longest I ever went. Um, and then, and then really at that point, you know, started moving towards, towards trail. Okay. So it sounds like you've got some unfinished business in the triathlon world. Do you ever think of uh, trying to get a full Ironman? It's, it's funny because I, I told people at the time I, I didn't want to take on a full Ironman because I couldn't put in the time to train for it. Mm -hmm. cool. and, and thinking back now as to what I'm sure you're well aware of, of how much time we put on the trail that uh, probably could. But really, it scares the crap out of me to bike these days. I would much rather be out on the trail. So it's pretty low on my priority list to, to do an Ironman. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like I come from a bike racing background for many, many years. Uh, and then, yeah, I pretty much don't really ride the road anymore. It's just a little, a little too nerve wracking in some cases. And yeah. I don't know how the traffic is down there, but it, <laughs> the narrow roads up here, it can be a little tough. Yeah, we had the Mad Cow Club here in Davis that uh, I think Dave Scott had started. And it was a much, you know, sort of low key group by the time I got involved with them. But in the couple of years we were there, I think we lost two people out of our group to, to road accidents, which it just mm. totally turned me off to biking. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And I mean, you just get out on the trails and it's just, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Traffic, yeah. or, even if you're on your mountain bike too, though, you know, that's, that's also a nice option I've found occasionally is just get on the mountain bike and don't have to worry about the cars and just have to worry about, you know, the odd stump sticking out somewhere. <laughs> I had, I had my stint as a mountain biker, which was kind of hilarious. It was probably 10 years before I started running uh -huh. and I would bike that, uh, um, I would bike that upper, uh, 
upper Clementine loop all the time mm. and just never occurred to me about running it. <laughs> oh, thanks, Paulo. So who's, who's, uh, so the question is, where are you here in this picture? Where, where am I here? That would be me in the red. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, uh, be careful what you say here at the Mile 99 interview, because if it's a line, I'm going to find it. Oh, I, I, I was fairly sure you would probably find it. Yes. <laughs> but, but I mean, it was certainly a driver for me saying you got to do something different. So. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, um, I kind of share some of the same way that I got into running. Like I used to tell people that uh, I only ran because that's the only way I got to the finish line in a triathlon. It's uh, like I ran because I had to. And that was the case until I found trail running. It's um, in back at that time, this is in my early days. Yeah, it's uh, remember all the amount of laundry that you're doing because you're if he, uh, um, because you're swimming in the morning, you're running in the afternoon, and you're cycling sometime in the evening. And um, preferably, you should be washing all those clothes. So, uh, yes, I remember it is time consuming, you know, it's uh, yeah. not only while exercising, but there is the packing the bike on the car, driving the, to the bike rides or driving to the swims. You can, you know, unless you've got a 50-yard pool in your backyard, uh, yeah, it does, it does take a lot of time to do that. Yeah, it's, uh, and I'm, yes, if I, if, if I happen to run into Kelly Barber from 2008, yeah, I wouldn't recognize you. It's, uh, <laughs> Yes, you look great. Yes. Agreed. When I grow up, I want to I wanna be like you. I want to have that beard. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are aspiring to this, uh, this uh, stay-at-home uh, COVID-19 beard, but the, the ones that haven't had it for a few years are realizing it's a little tougher, a little itchier. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is me. I'm like eight months into it. Yes. Keep yes. it up, Paulo. <laughs> Thank you. We're yes. holding out for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So going back a little bit to your um, like early years, childhood, you mentioned like you were into skiing and water sports, things like that. Like were those, were those all things that your family did together? Um, or were you sort of encouraged to go off on your own and find some of these things? So, so growing up in Red Bluff, I had that awesome in my, in my backyard. Mm. So um, I actually started skiing up there first and my dad, my dad was a fire captain kind of, at the next station that was right down below Mount Lassen. So I spent most of my childhood running around on that mountain. I actually learned how to ski first with a friend and then my parents uh, got into it. And then we, we skied as a family pretty much my, you know, probably until I went to college, but then I was a, I was a ski patrolman at Lassen for a lot of years. Cause sort of once I got bored with just, just skiing, I, I did that for a number of years until I went to college. Cool. So, I mean, you had that kind of athletic mindset, it sounds like, through most of your life. Yeah, because I think you were, I think you or Paolo had mentioned to Craig last, last week about sort of team sports versus individual sports. And mm -hmm. yeah, I was never, you know, I think I tried to play basketball once when I was in sixth grade or something and realized that was not going to be the thing for me. So it was always, you know, somewhat of an individual pursuit type of sports. Yeah. Yeah. That's very similar to me too. I was kind of tall for my age at the time, tried to do the basketball thing and it just <laughs> wasn't happening. <laughs> but luckily enough, got into bike racing at an earlier age. So that's cool. Um, and so up in Red Bluff, yeah, I mean, you had Lassen like pretty much right there. So, um, and I was just looking at the map because I'm not super familiar with that area, but it looks like it's kind of down in the valley and you've just got forests and national, you know, national forests and parks and things like all around there. So it seems like a great place to just go and have a lot of great outdoor opportunities. It's, it's been interesting kind of rediscovering it as a runner because mm -hmm. when I went back up into that area, I think after um, uh, Bev Abs and Alan had stopped RDing their wildflower 50K that they had that was along the Sacramento River, they were kind of right outside of Red Bluff. Mm -hmm. um, I ran up and ran that course and it was, it was right where I used to run around as a kid, 
but you know, never, never thought about sort of doing a distance run. So it's, it's a gorgeous course. It's too bad that they don't still have that race up there. Mm-hmm. And um, Lassen Park is always strikes me as interesting because it's kind of just outside the range that most people want to drive to, but again, just gorgeous trails to run. So attendees should take note. Uh, that could be a, a new destination for people in this area to go check out, it sounds like. Always so quiet. How, I rarely pass people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how far is Red Bluff from here? Uh, for those watching, maybe maybe they can get an idea. Probably two, two hours, two hours up five from Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> so definitely yeah. doable. Yeah. So if you want to avoid all the Bay Area traffic, you go to Red Bluff and you know you got trails to yourself. Yeah. That's great. Mm. Okay. So. We were we were stalking you a little bit, and we looked at your ultra sign up results. It's um, right, and it shows your your first trail marathon distance back in, in two thousand twelve, your first hundred miler in two thousand fourteen. Um, you share with us what was the transition to go from a you know, the yeah. marathon to the 100 miles, and not only any 100 miler, but TRT. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I remember my days when I got into trail running, and this is actually right before the, the ultra sign-up days, I think. Uh, yeah, I looked at TRT, and I was like, who wants to do two loops of that? And, uh, so <laughs> Once, once during the day and once at night. They're completely different. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> is. One is alive, and the other one is almost dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it it was it was an interesting journey because um, at the point at the point that I got into running and I had done my first marathon, um, my my running partner at the time had looked at um, uh, Grizzly Peak, which the the trail marathon in uh, in Berkeley and Tilden Park, and I think she had seen that the previous year there was like, I don't know, six women or something that had done the, had done the trail marathon distance and that she had a good chance of, of doing well at it. So she wanted to train for it. I'm like, okay, let's train for that. So neither of us knew anything about trail running. So we did our child entire training plan. Like, uh, like we were training for a road marathon, just doing short intervals, all flat. We didn't climb anything. Um, so, you know, my, my main recollection of that race was one, we finished and two, I remember being about two miles from the finish line and just both calves were seizing up. You know, I think we finished in over six hours and, you know, I, I felt like I was doing like that military scene of go on without me, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'm not going to make it. You go ahead and get your finish time. And, you know, she took off and, and finished and I got it done. But I think once I did get it done, um, I had spent a number of years of college paying for college, working as a fireman and working out in the, in the back country. Um, of course my daughter's trying to FaceTime me. Um, and, uh, and so what I did recognize from that of uh, the first sort of chance to be out on the trail was just remembering what that was like just to be out in the woods and, you know, spend the day out there. And at that point, the pain didn't matter. I was hooked. So from that race, you know, I think I was probably back like most people are, you get through the pain for a few hours and then you're on ultra sign up looking at what the next race is. And I was already signed up for, I think it's Coyote Ridge. That's one of the Pacific Coast races um, out uh, um, out in the headlands because that was going to get me at least I could check off the list that I had done an ultra because that was going to be the first ultra on the list. So that was that that was the gateway. Okay. So so from there it from there it got uh, it got nuts very fast um, because I had. I had a friend living in Canada and for some reason I got, I got, uh, you know, doing what for many years I would do, which is draw a circle around where I wanted to go and see where the races were. 
and I found Fat Dog. Um, and I found the Fat Dog 50 because, you know, 120 was nuts at that point, but 50 was doable. So that's, that's what became kind of the, the, next, the next box to check on really doing a race in the mountains. Um, and it was really surviving that that kind of gave me the impetus to think I could pull off TRT. Yeah, and I mean, that was only like a little over a year, maybe a year and some, some number of months after that first trail marathon. So it was a good, good ramp, looks like mileage-wise and you know, difficulty-wise and all that. Yeah, my, my training partner at the time said, you know, I'm fine with helping you through 50, but if you want to go beyond that, you're nuts. So, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't realize quite how nuts I was. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll touch on some longer distances <laughs> as we get further into this. So. <laughs> um, so as you did those jumps, like, yeah, I mean, like what was sort of like that, like the mental process you went through, the physical process, all those things, I mean yeah did it just seem like okay like i've checked this one off i'm just going to do that next one and that next one and, and how did that all work it's interesting that it it really became a transition and why i was out there because i think the first 50 was to figure out if i could do it and that fat dog course is is challenging because i you know i went back later and i did the 120 but the way they have the the way that she has the races set is the individual distances from 120 down to, I think she still has a 30 mile distance, but she brings all the start lines forward so everybody finishes together. So for the 50, you know, the 120 milers had started the previous day and we were starting kind of in the middle of the course and I had 120 mile racers passing me as we were kind of queuing up in the start line. And I think that race has got, I don't know, 4,000 foot climb right in the middle of it. And um, that, that race was probably the most um, sore I've ever been after any race that I've done to date. But I think it was also, you know, in retrospect, looking back and understanding that it takes really several years to build up the endurance piece of this and build up the recovery piece of it. And, you know, that, that was the first year into it and it felt like it. So I think, you know, if you're a new runner, it's going to hurt a lot that first year because you haven't built up sort of the cardiovascular and the vasculature into the muscles to really set you up to be able to, you know, clear, clear all that garbage out so that you can really be, you know, recover faster and come back from doing those kind of hard activities. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. It's like, yeah, you're sort of down at the micro level really in your muscles and your aerobic system and all that. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really interesting point about that. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I know after my first 50 K, like I was sore for you know, like four or five days. And now, I mean, you know, sometimes we go out and we just do training runs that are longer like that and you know, you don't feel terrible after. So yeah, I, I guess every, every year that you're doing it, every time you bump up that next level to the new race distance, you're just going to adjust. Your body's going to adjust eventually. And then that'll become kind of like your new baseline. And then you go from there. Very cool. And there, there was, now that I'm thinking about it, in between those two, there's a little bit of a, a wacky Western state story. <laughs> oh, do tell. <laughs> um, so, so I think many of you know Bruce LaBelle, and I run with GBH and Davis is kind of the core group, which she also runs with. And, you know, once I kind of finally felt I was running well enough, he mentioned this whole Western states thing to me that I had no real um, idea of. And for that first year, he said, Hey, you know, if you want to run some trail, you can go up and sign up as a, you know, sign up as a, um, as a pacer, just, you know, here's, here's where to go in Forest Hill and you just give them your name and, you know, you, you know, you might wait around for a while and, and then, you know, they can set you up with a pacer. So, you know, GVH has the aid station at Cal one. So I helped out at Cal one for a few hours and gone up there and signed up and it was probably, I don't know, six o'clock at night. So I'm figuring, you know, maybe about midnight, I'll get, I'll get some pacing duties so I can sit around and, and this is going to be a long slog to the finish line. Um, so I had a brand new pack and brand new headlamp. I'd never run at night. Um, and so I was standing with a friend of mine 
And, you know, we hadn't really even kind of figured things out on, you know, they were going to stay in Auburn and I was going to run and, you know, all of the details. I may be there for 20 minutes and, they, and I can't remember who was coordinating it for us till comes back down and says, hey, I got a runner for you. So this guy was trying to run on 24 hour pace and had, you know, had been in a hot day in the canyons and he had overdone it and gets into Forest Hill and he's, you know, can you get him to the finish line under 24 hours? Sure. I mean, I knew, I knew don't get him, don't get him lost and get him to the finish line. And that's all I knew. And <laughs> at least I it was also dedicated to the fact that, you know, I'm not going to give up on this guy. So mm-hmm. put my headlamp on and got him together and we got out of there and got going. Um, I ran him all the way to the finish line. That was the longest I'd ever run in one shot. Um, I was probably the most, you know, the most chafed as I'd ever been in my life. Cause it was, you know, it was not my race at that point. I had to get into the finish line and take care of me second. So that was a good lesson learned in, uh, definitely learning how to take care of yourself. Um, but, uh, we didn't, I don't, I don't have the, we got him there in under 24 hours. I got him there in under 25 hours. And, uh, uh, he went on to, to, to crush it at Vermont a few weeks later, but, uh, but yeah, it's certainly thinking back, sorry, Bob, for what I didn't know at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, if only, but yeah, it certainly was a, got me super excited about the race and super excited about trail running. Mm, for sure. And so have you done a lot of other pacing duties since then? Um, yeah, fair amount. Um, I think, uh, you know, Helen Pelster and I run quite a bit together. So I've paced her for a number of different races for, um, for I am tough and, um, seems like a couple of different, uh, races, Katie Gifford and her and I've, I've paced for, um, uh, uh, for Angela's crest and, and the number of other races. So it was a pacing seems like a nice way to at least get to see, uh, get to see courses. Um, so that's, that, that's been, that's been a fun way. And, and also, you know, learning the other side of it of, you know, what it takes to try and help get runners to the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've paced some people, notably Mike Turner on the call here a few times and, uh, it's, uh, it's a responsibility for sure. And I can imagine like your first time there at Western States with that runner. I mean, it's, 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 it puts some pressure on you sometimes, you know, like you really feel responsible. But Kelly, do you tell your runner that it was your first time running that distance, uh, as you were pacing him or the, you know, and I'm only asking because my very first time pacing somebody at Western States or pacing anybody anywhere, I yeah. had never run, you know, uh, what was it, 38 miles. It's, uh, and of course, I didn't want to tell the guy, hey, you know, I know a lot less than you do. It's, uh, you know, the guy asked me, do you know the course? Yes. Have you run this section before? Yes. I had never been on it before. I, I, I would venture a guess that it was something pretty similar to that. Cheers to that. I was, I was courageous that I could get it done and didn't yeah. know what I didn't know. <laughs> yes. so, yeah. And what year was that for you? I think that would have been, I think that was 2012. Okay. All right. I was, uh, I was trying to, mine I think was, may have been 2012 too or 2011, the really cold year. Really cold year where there were people dropping off hypothermia. Yeah, this was not cold. No, this is like I was wearing two jackets, gloves. It's it was cold. Um, so, anyways, yes, but you'd uh, for those of you watching, uh, never tell the truth to your runner. <laughs> never, you know. It's uh, if they're you know if they're moving up. 14 minute mile pace, you tell them they're moving at 19 minute mile pace. You gotta pick it up, buddy. Uh, 19 minute mile, we're not gonna make it. Here's, here's another thing that Mike Turner can attest to is that if you're doing TRT and they're coming around that final uh, loop to, around the lake, don't tell them the finish is right there because it's still two miles away. <laughs> yes. All those races suck where you can see the finish line from yeah. the <laughs> 
Uh, you learn you learn these things though over time, you know. You do. That's cool. Yes. Uh, excellent. So, uh, so just jumping into kind of like the current situation a little bit with the pandemic and all that. I know that. Uh, well, I can't remember now. Was it five six weeks ago? They had the quarantine backyard ultra. And for anybody that's not familiar with this, um, the Backyard Ultra is a certain type of, of race format where you have to run 4.167 miles every hour and you have to get back to your starting corral and then you have as much time as you want to get aid from your, you know, whoever's there or yourself, eat some food, drink something. And as soon as the top of the hour strikes, you have to go back out and do the same thing again, 4.167 miles. And you just keep doing this as long as you can. And it's a last runner standing format. Everyone else DNFs. There's only one person who finishes generally, unless I guess if they both decide not to go out on that last lap, maybe. Um, but anyway, Kelly and I did this race. It was called the Quarantine Backyard Ultra. We were in our own areas doing this on our own courses, and there were 2,000 people all over the world. So I just wanted to just um, find out from you, Kelly, like, were you just inspired to do that because there were no other races going on? You needed something to kind of like just challenge yourself. Had you ever done the, that format before? Is it something you're interested in doing? So, so I guess for the last part, I'm doing the format before I'd done approximately that format. There's a race, there's a four mile per hour challenge that's um, up at, well, it used to be around whiskey town until it all burned up last year. Um, that uh, that they put up on there for the last couple of years, and I had done it two or three times. Um, and, but it, the format was a little different; that it was every ninety minutes you were doing six miles, um, and it was a out and back format, which was was fun, but it was different than you know how they're starting to excuse me standardize around this four point one six seven which I don't know if I'm the only person who had not realized because I didn't realize until I hit 25 miles that the whole reason was to, to round out the mileage to exactly hit a hundred. Right. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> so sure there I was a purpose for that one point, that one, six, seven. Right. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but this was the first time I had done just that as a, as the one hour loops. And, you know, I, I had kind of, been down on these kind of course setups and one hour challenges, but I had a lot of fun. Um, I was realizing as we set up the zoom tonight that I'd never took my race number off my zoom. Cause I think that's the last time I'd made a zoom call. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> nice. So I was wondering what the number was for you. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that, that was my uh, quarantine ultra number. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were all on this big but it was, zoom sessions. Yeah, but it was a great it was a great format. I think I think I could really get behind doing it live because to go probably longer than sixty miles, it'd be nice to have people out there with you when you were doing it. But I'm really into sort of the strategy of racing and to hear people kind of talk about sort of when to eat and how to take breaks and how to rest if you were going to do um, you know go beyond. Uh, one evening and into the next day because I'd, I've certainly I've not taken that on and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I set up my schedule so maybe I can take on one to push into the following day and see how I do. I was thinking while I was doing mine, like you did 60 miles. I did a 50, I, I think you did like a hundred K, right? Or essentially. Yeah. 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 And I did a 50 K and I was, but I was thinking as I was doing it, doing this thing in person with other people on the same course with you would have to be a very like psychological strategic type of race because you know, you all come back to that corral, you're off doing your own little things and you're kind of maybe checking out people like how's, how's that person looking? How are they going to go on another lap? What am I doing? You know, I was thinking it would be possibly like that, you know, in yeah. person. It was certainly fun with the format that they did. And I think, uh, personal peak is now set up like three or four all summer long, but they had Courtney who was on telling a joke every hour at 52 minutes after the hour. So it gave you a nice incentive to make it back by minute 52. So you could hear what the dumb joke of the hour was. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, they, they found a way to make it a lot of fun. It was. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, like I was watching the live feed practically the rest of the weekend. I did too. <laughs> and I mean, uh, just to fill in people, I mean, there were, there were, there were people on treadmills, 
uh, all over the world. Uh, there was one guy running laps inside of a coffee shop in northern Alberta, if I remember correctly, <laughs> in his socks. Um, <laughs> and he went he went long. Like he was, I think, over 40 hours maybe or around 40 hours. Wow. Something incredible. I think the um, woman in the yeah the woman in Sweden or whatever that was running oh, up yes. an ice lake or something. She for... was running outside on an ice lake. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was just incredible, like to see all this these different venues and viewpoints and all that. So um, yeah, there's another one I noticed. I went on their site today. They have one scheduled for July 11th. Um, so if anybody is interested in trying a backyard ultra format, go to quarantinebackyardultra.com and it's free. It's free. I mean, the, the first one was free. The second one's free. Um, and it's just kind of an interesting format and it's really a mind, a very mental type of race. I would imagine like, did you have a preset number of laps or were you just kind of, you know, deciding every lap? I had kind of had it in my mind since I couldn't do canyons that I wanted to get a hundred K. Um, so 100K was kind of in my mind. I'd, I'd had, it must have completely been in my mind about potentially going overnight because when I mentioned it to my family after I was done, they're like, what? You were going to go till tomorrow. <laughs> so, so there was a bit of a stretch goal, but yeah, I don't know if you guys remember that day. It was just pouring rain here oh, and nice. I had set it up around the farm roads. Yep. And uh, so I had like two miles on asphalt and two miles on farm roads and I'd get about a mile into those farm roads and have about two inches of, of uh, clay on the bottom of my shoes. So I do like a hundred yards, scrape my shoes down, hundred yards, scrape my shoes down. <laughs> and I finally switched courses the last three laps and then I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how <clears throat> some people would put, put a limit to themselves because honestly, like at least people with kids, it's like, you can't, oh, I'm going to sign up for a backyard ultra. I'm going to go for as long as I can, you know? Yeah. Your family is going to tell you for how long you're going to go. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, well, we'll go to bed at seven. As long as you're done by 6 AM. It's a uh, yes. Uh, you know? So yeah. Uh, but I do think that the whole format is really interesting. I, I am excited to see these, these new, uh, challenges are coming out whether it is a uh, you know across the Tennessee or or the backyard ultra because it is keep keeping people active it is keeping people on their toes it is keeping people uh, motivated right and with that uh, we were reading uh, that you usually use races to, to you know as a training block to train you for something bigger yeah. Right. It's uh, and now that there are no races, it's uh, other than the backyard ultra, and you couldn't do canyons. There's no Western states. Um, you know, how are you handling all of that? Are you still running outside out of these big backyard ultras, uh, or are you just taking it easy and hey, you know what? Western states is not coming until. 2021, I guess I have until February to start training. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I probably live in fear at this point of stopping running that if I stopped for too long, it would be too hard to fight to get back. So that keeps me at a base level. Um, yeah. But, you know, I had talked to friends a couple weeks after we got into this. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, the races are gone. I run for the beauty of the outdoors. And that's, yeah. you know, that's while I'm out there. And then I think I real, well, I think two things. One, I think the first weekend we started doing the, um, uh, the stay in place orders, et cetera. I had gone down to the headlands to just run the, the muck course, um, on my own. And I did it that weekend, the, the weekend before they shut down the headlands. And I thought, yeah, I'll go out early, you know, my time is not going to be when the majority of people are going to be out here. And I, and I hit, I hit Tennessee Valley about halfway through my, my, my run. Actually I hit, I hit Mirror Beach before that and it was insane. And, you know, people in groups. And by the time I got to Tennessee Valley, it was even worse. It was worse than a race weekend. So it really kind of turned me off to, you know, what am I going to do with this whole thing? So I adjusted, to kind of put my long runs on Fridays, I've got the at least 
flexibility in my schedule that I can do that. And then I'm running a lot less. I do my one day that I sneak into Auburn on Fridays. Um, and, uh, and other than that, I've had to take it down quite a bit. So, uh, you know, I had mentioned to friends, like I said, that the beauty of the outdoors would be enough. Uh, I think I underestimated just the, uh, the impact of the anxiety, the whole situation and what that would have on just sort of taking, taking away energy I had for putting in long weeks and things like that. So I've certainly not been putting in the kind of weeks that I would have put in to say that I'm race ready for what for Western. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I've been able to at least keep kind of a base level of running. Yeah. sounds like a familiar story. I mean, I know I'm sort of in the same boat. I've been doing some longer runs, but I'm kind of just thinking about, you know, trying to do little efforts here and there, but just maintain, maintain fitness, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. And hopefully at some point, you know, I mean, like we've been talking about some of these virtual races do provide a little motivation. So that's helpful too. Yeah. I mean, the creativity has been awesome. Paolo, I will give a shout out for your, for your hundred idea. I think oh, that's, thank you. that is awesome. So, um, you know, I'm going to be in there as well, but, you know, I think with the vertical challenges that, you know, that, um, uh, um, Jamil and their group's been putting together and, and with some of these other races with, personal peak and some of the four hour challenges. I think there's, there's just some cool concepts. I, yeah, I did. I, I have been tracking my way across Tennessee too. So yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so just so you know, we will have a special award for uh, anybody that does a hundred miles in a single day. Uh, so, you know, just letting you know, Something you know, about- <laughs> Yeah, I started enough. plotting in my, mind, in my mind when I was running on Sunday. I'm like, well, if I start at my house and if I run to Squaw Valley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. Olympic Valley. <laughs> Olympic Valley. Right. So, uh, so switching gears a little bit, I definitely want to get into a couple of the big things you've been doing to um, let some people know here. So just to uh, give everybody a little bit of an intro. Uh, in 2017, Kelly ran the Grand Slam of Ultra Running. And what this is... It's four races, um, and I can't remember if it's five and you get to choose four, or you can correct me, um, but I'll just say which ones you ran. Um, and so this includes Western States, Vermont 100, Leadville, and the Wasatch 100. And if I'm not mistaken, these are done pretty much within like a month of each other in sequence. So we're talking 400s in you know month to month, like over a period of four months. And I got I just got a shout out. You've placed third overall in the field of people who did the Grand Slam and finished in a total lapse time of four races, 100 milers, mind you, not easy ones, in 96 hours and change, under 100 hours elapsed. Um, so, uh, <laughs> huge open-ended question, like, what, what was that like? And I guess the other question is kind of like, how did you decide to do that? What got you interested in doing that? And, and how did you just pull something like that off? Um, let's see which one to take on first. <laughs> so, so one, maybe going back a little bit behind it, which is I had decided about a year before that I needed to switch things up and I had quit my job. Um, so I was pretty much focused on running for about two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that was kind of a pivotal point in terms of kind of resetting priorities and what I wanted to focus on. And I think at the point that I knew about it and that I got into Western, um, it was also at the point that I was talking to people that were saying there are, there are really not many chances to do this. And, if you get into Western, then, you know, you, if you want to go for it, now's the time to go for it. So at that point, you know, the big challenge was to get, was that Leadville was also a bit difficult to get into. Like you said, there's now five races that you have to get four of. Um, and, you know, I had paced, I had paced on the Wasatch course the year before. So I knew at least a little bit of what I was getting into, into there. And I, since I had run Western once before, kind of knew what I was getting into there. So I felt like I could put together a training plan and, you know, it's, 
part of what I get into is to kind of push the envelope a little bit and see if it's possible. Um, and so, um, I was super fortunate to have a good team that was working with me for, with both, you know, pacers and crew and just friends that were giving me you know, information and advice. And, you know, I trained my ass off for Western that year. And, you know, I had some friends that were working with me on my nutrition plan and I got that dialed in and just I, I, things, things just came together so much better than I could have even imagined. So it, it was, it was a matter that just, um, like as, as Paolo was saying, I used a number of buildup races with, with AR 50 and with canyons and, all of the races were going better than I expected and I was running strong. So, you know, it just, um, it just, each one built on it and built my confidence by the time that I got to, to Western, um, you know, I was able, I was able to pull off, you know, beyond what I expected there. And then I knew from that point, and really as people had told me going into it, train for Western and then just recover your way and hang on through the rest of it. And I will tell you, by the time I got to Wasatch, it was 30 hours on that course, and I was hanging on to get to that finish line. <laughs> ah, ah, that, that sounds brutal, yeah. So, Kelly, I got a question about 2017 Western States, because I've got to tell you, I, uh, there are times that I wake up in the middle of the night sweating uh, from this dream that you're passing me by on Kyle Street. <laughs> It's uh, we Martin falling along, and I'm just shuffling, right? It's uh, and I never make it to the finish line in my dream. It's uh, so but when you when you passed us, it's uh, you were moving great, but the first 30 miles of that race were completely miserable. Me, it's uh, furnished from Olympic Valley, not Squaw Valley, it's uh, to. Robinson Flat, it was just a mess. Uh, do you, were you prepared for that? Do you bring it down a notch because of the snow or do you fight through the course? Like in my case, I fought through the course and the course won. Uh, what was your experience? So I think, I think a couple of things really helped. One, I think because, because I was a skier and because I'd spent so much time in snow that I, I actually had a blast on the top part of that course. Um, <laughs> you know, we had gone up and we had worked, we had worked the aid station at, um, at uh, Broken Arrow a okay. couple of weeks before. So I had been able to kind of test drive which shoes I wanted to use on the mountain um, okay. a couple of weeks before. I had already set up and left myself a set of shoes at Red Star because I knew my shoes were going to be soaked by the time I got out of Red Star. Um, and like I said, well, and, we, and we'd also, you know, I, I had, I've gone, I think we did that year. We've gone um, over the top pretty much every year with a group of people. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty, you know, was pretty comfortable leading folks through the snow. So, you know, once we dropped off the other side of um, Watson Monument, I was just barreling down the hill and just having a blast. And so by the time, by the time we got into red star switch shoes and I was out of the snow, we were off and running and yeah, things were great. Awesome. And I think that just, that started a mental game for me that just played out the entire race because it just yeah. wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't behind, behind times. I also probably the other thing that plays into it is my hardest point on that race is getting to Robinson, um, actually climbing, um, climbing out from, um, when am I, when am I blanking on the eight, uh, the eight station before Robinson Duncan uh, or Duncan Canyon from Duncan Canyon yeah. is where I always have the hardest time. Mm -hmm. So sort of once I get past there, I always feel better. Mm. Okay. Nice. Well, I, gosh, I mean, we've got so many questions here. I know we've got to be mindful of time. I mean, I would love to dig into <laughs> so much more about the, the Grand Slam and all that. 
But I really do want to make sure that we also touch on another race you did the following year. So let me just share a little screenshot here. And hope you all can see that picture right there. Shout out to Scott Rokas for some uh, amazing photography skills. Yeah. Now, if anybody's not familiar, and probably most people wouldn't be, or unless they've done some research, what race is this? What's going on here? What's going through your mind? Uh, this will be the finish line at Homewood for Tahoe 200. This is in 2018, right? Yes. Okay. And who who who's who are you seeing there at the finish line as your as your this picture is being taken? Uh, I think my my family and my crew are all are all there thanks to uh, thanks to my crew chief who was uh, who was on top of things at the top of that hill at the last aid station making sure they all woke up. Yeah. <laughs> and your time for that race. Eighth place overall, 69 hours, 21 minutes, which there's, for anyone that doesn't know, the Tahoe 200 has a 100-hour time limit. So this is a very significant finish, uh, very fast. Um, what was that experience like? I mean, I know people tell, you, tell us, or I've heard, and I've been up there. I was up there last year crewing for some couple people. It's just a different type of beast than a 100-miler. And did you find that to be the case? Definitely found that to be the case. Um, it, it was, that year was an interesting season. So um, I had gone back for some unfinished business on TRT uh, right before that and, um, and had what in my mind was a horrible race. Um, but, you know, luckily having some good people around me that, you know, clearly, you know, let me know that, it may not have been the race I wanted, but the, it was the race I needed. It really sort of cemented in my mind what I knew that, you know, I'm at heart a hiker um, and a strong hiker. Um, so, you know, I spent the next six weeks up around Tahoe just doing sections of the trail, making sure that I knew, um, you know, making sure I, I, I knew what my times would be. And, you know, I think, Again, this one goes back to the fact that I was able to put together an awesome crew who just took care of me the entire race um, so I could minimize what I was carrying. And, um, you know, um, my, my, my friend Andrea had, had her expedition, which she strategically parked at a couple places so I could get a couple hours sleep. Um, you know, I, I remember Sean Flanagan and, and I were in the last stretch coming through the Rubicon and we were passing a guy and his, his uh, pacer was like, we're not sure we can get to the next aid station because my runner hasn't slept and, and he's delirious and not sure we're going to get there. And I'd slept, you know, five hours at that point. And, you know, I was tired, but I wasn't delirious. Um, so I think, you know, certainly what fed into that was doing a lot of, a lot of strategic planning. I had, I know a couple of friends who'd done it the year before. So I worked off a lot of their data um, to try and put the whole race plan together. And, you know, it just, it worked. So, and you know, that, that last section was Sean, Sean paced me for a hundred K through the Rubicon. And I just, you know, when you've got folks who will do that kind of stuff for you to uh, you know, drag you through and suck dust for uh, you know, an, an entire night, um, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing to have, have, and that's the, at the end of the day, the thing with this entire community is that it, it just continues to amaze me that everybody gives that kind of support to everyone else, um, to be able to, so we can pull these things off. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best part. <laughs> and I, I've heard stories about the Rubicon and just the dust and just everything. It's just kind of miserable, I think. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, it's beautiful out there, but uh, I was thankful that we were doing the, what we were doing the, the clock clockwise loop. We were doing the opposite of what the way it normally runs. And so right. we were pretty much out there by ourselves, which the, usually the other way is the, it's the start of the race. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine being out there when you got, you know, heard of Buffalo running through the powdery <laughs> dust. No doubt. 
Wow, just an absolutely impressive performance. And it really sounds like uh, one of the keys to your success is just that that whole idea of planning it out. I mean, whether it's at the race level or at, or the Grand Slam at the macro level, you're kind of planning out each race as a sequence. So you've got the whole plan for the several months. Um, and, uh, you know, I know from, from my experiences when I don't plan well, and that's fairly often, <laughs> things just start happening like that you don't want to happen. So it's nice to eliminate all those 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 gotchas and those unexpected things. And it sounds like you've had a really, um, really successful time doing that. Well, I, I, you know, let's, I guess, let's, uh, you know, be honest that it's been through a lot of failures <laughs> and trying to learn from those failures that, uh, and put a little bit more planning into the next one. So, yeah, but I do like the strategy. That's, that's great. I think that's, uh, that's the whole point of this interview series, right? To share the knowledge and the experience uh, with other runners, right? It's, uh, uh, from everything, from the beginning of the this interview with you when you said that it takes years to build endurance. And I remember hearing that when I first got into trail running, when I first got into triathlon, actually, and thinking, ah, years, what are you talking about? Um, but no, it takes years because it's not just about the time I spent on the trail or the time I spent on the bike, but it's a recovery time. Um, and it's a time that it takes you, it's, it's the mindset, right? Like you learn that it's more than just your body, but it's your mind that eventually gets you through that journey, you know, you know, whatever it is, it's a hundred miles, uh, 200 miles or a marathon or a half marathon, because every one of those small increments, it's, it's in its own, uh, all of it, right? It's, uh. So yeah, no, it's uh, uh, mind. Your mind plays a big, big role there, right? And getting the right people, like you say, having the right crew, is key, right? Because you just, you know, you couldn't get to the finish line otherwise. Nope. I I remember I remember vividly in 2017 of catching up with Martin at the bottom of Bath Road and being yeah. just it was just this elation of get, sort of getting to the next phase of the race and yeah. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful moment in your port in your in your in your court yeah <laughs> so uh yeah we've uh we've covered some things i mean i've got so many more questions that i wrote but i, <laughs> I know, know we have to be mindful but i do want to if we have some time just fit in some uh, audience q a as well so i think we've got mike turner uh he's been helping out monitoring everything for us mike uh what do you, what you got yeah we had some good questions from the audience adam actually has some, some questions here go ahead adam uh, hey Kelly, I'm Adam. Nice to meet you. Um, I don't, I don't think we've met before. I live here in Auburn. Um, but, uh, I actually have a question and, and thank you for sharing your story. First, it's sure. a very cool story, inspirational story. And, uh, uh, and I, I learned a lot. Um, but my question has nothing to do with running. It has to do with, uh, two words you said at the very beginning of your talk, single-handed sailing. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of you. <laughs> I, uh, uh, prior to moving up to Auburn, I spent about a decade racing up and down the coast of California, uh, and, and competing primarily big boat. Oh yeah. Uh, but I'm just, uh, always full crew. I'm just curious, uh, you know, what your sailing experience was, was it lake? Was it ocean? Was it big boat? Was it small boat? Was it, you know, long distance, short distance? Um, small boat, international class lasers. Okay. And then some, um, some Hobie, uh, but not, not a lot. I didn't race the Hobies much either. We had it. We, we, we had one for a number of years, but mostly racing the lasers. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. That was well, my so there, there is your crew for the Hobie path you haven't taken out. Yeah. So I happen to have a Hobie path in my, sitting in my front yard so oh yeah if you're, uh, if you're ever interested in sailing around in Folsom or something let me know I can tell you a story about uh pitch pulling one on Eagle Lake <laughs> oh there you go did you turtle <laughs> oh yeah no I've done I'm done, I've done some spectacular failures on a sailboat <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, well sailing can be summed up of like 90 95 percent of it you're actually kind of bored 
and the yeah. other, you know, five to ten percent of it, you're hoping you live through the moment. Indeed, yeah, it's fun times. Yeah, I, I, I'd go out anytime. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so guys, the next question is from Brian. He has some questions about uh, racing in dark times. So basically, uh, I know you've uh, gone on some pretty good adventures. Uh, basically, in a race, uh, what's the darkest moment you've been through that you've been able to pull out of? And uh, just kind of, you know, what were you thinking? How did you get through it? And what did you learn? When I ran, when I went back to run TRT in 2018, um, I had injured myself a couple weeks before and kind of toned things down. And then my training was looking really good. And somehow I got this crazy idea that I was back in race shape to pull off, uh, you know, sub 24, sub 25 on that course. Um, and so I did the first loop and I was probably 40 miles into it. And then things were starting to slow down pretty dramatically. And I got, I got into that infamous second loop as Paolo calls it. Um, and you just kind of got to take stock in, in sort of where you're at in the race. So I think at the point that a couple of my friends passed me, I was in, um, Marlette Lake floating around on my back, um, just kind of watching the sky and relaxing for a little bit, trying to realize where I, what I wanted to do next and decided I wanted to finish the race. So, you know, got cooled down, got back out and started plugging away. Now that didn't solve it. Um, you know, I probably went into the aid station at Diamond Peak and I whined to Helen and Jack Meyer for about 20 minutes on, you know, how shitty my race was going. And luckily I had some people that said, suck it up, Kelly, and get back out there on the course because you're doing just fine. Um, and then I kicked my can all the way to the finish line. And so I will tell you that the turning point in that race is that I finished better than I did the first year I did that race. And I was pouting the entire way down Snow Valley Peak. And I didn't learn my lesson until probably a few weeks later when I realized I'd never wanted to do that again. That I had to be, you know, I had to realize how fortunate I was to be out there. Um, and it really didn't matter what the finish time was. So I think as I went into CIM that year, um, it changed my entire outlook for, for my marathon that it didn't matter if I, if I was having a shitty day, I was going to enjoy myself because I could still be doing it. And so I think um, I've certainly had sort of down points in races to just dig myself out of it. And I'm not worried about getting to the finish line because I'm just stubborn that way. I'm going to get to the finish line. But I think that race kind of taught me just to be happy about just to be enjoyable about being out there. Yeah, such a good lesson for anybody. Yeah, it was it, it was a little bit difficult, but tried to cheer people as they're passing me down Snow Valley Peak. But yeah, mm -hmm. it, it was it was a good lesson learned. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Uh, that was it for me. <laughs> Mike, do we have anything? Anyone else ask questions? Yeah, Jessica has a question. Uh, are you there, Jessica? Yes. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Jessica. Hi. I'm such a fan, obviously. <laughs> um, my question is about what you run in. I remember you coming into Dusty Corners and you had the button down all the way <laughs> on button and you had your handheld. So tell me, how did you get um, into wearing the button downs? Because I think they're super cool. Um. In 2017, I think one of the things that I decided was that if I, well, I think there was, there was two things. I think um, I had talked to uh, a couple of people about sort of what was the best way to stay cool. And there was a lot of folks that were, um, that were kind of going to cotton and something cotton related. And I felt like, 
like at least with the button down, I could take it off and throw it in the creek and put it back on and, and get cool that way. And that was easier than some sort of, uh, you know, Jim Walmsley cut up t-shirt. So I went, I went with that. And then the other piece was just once I decided to get rid of the pack and especially with Western's course of the aid stations being so close together, I figured it was be cooler to run with bottles than run with a full pack. And that paid off there. It bit me in the ass at Wasatch. Um, but, uh, but at least for Western and, and for, uh, for Vermont, it worked great to at least minimize the amount of stuff I was carrying. Now I'm super whiny if I have to carry my pack because I'd much rather just run with bottles. <laughs> but I haven't picked out my button down for this year. I, want, I was all set to do that when Western canceled, so I got to figure a new one for, this, for, for next year. Well, we have decided in the chat that every Thursday is button down Thursday. <laughs> so we're all gonna wear a button oh. down So I, I, mean, I, I almost grabbed the flamingos, but uh, I figured they they were looking a little too dressy, so I, I toned it down a bit. Well, Brian was asking in the chat too, does any of I don't think any of the buttons would chafe for anything. They're like clips. They're not um, no, I went to the, I went to the Pearl Snaps last year. Actually, it was a, it was a, I can't remember if Helen or I got to the decision first, but if you've ever been 80 miles into a race and trying to button a button, it's a, it, your brain doesn't work that well. So the snaps are great for when your brain's not working and no, they don't shave. Nice. Excellent. Anything else, Mike? I don't see any more questions in here. All right. Well, I think we can wrap things up then. Um, I just really want to thank you, Kelly, for spending this time with us, a little over an hour here, and just going through some of the, the great things that you've done, sharing some insights and you know ideas about how you've gotten through some of these, these huge undertakings and just sort of your progression. It's been really impressive to me. And uh, I'm looking forward to towing the line again at one of these races at some point. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, I, know, I know we all can't wait to get out there. And that's sort of the idea here is to just keep us all kind of motivated and hear these great stories. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, my last one got killed last week. So yeah, I guess I got to wait for 21 now. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to blow the horn so that race starts again. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, yeah, you know, I feel like we eventually need to do a, uh, Kelly Barber episode 2.0 because mm. there's so many questions uh, that are still out there. It's, uh, it's yeah. So I think we got through half of them. <laughs> yeah, this has been a blast. Yeah. I'm more than willing to come back and chat anytime. And I will For certainly sure. be, uh, certainly be participating. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, joining us uh, again. It's a, uh, this is your co-host, Paolo Medina, broadcasting from Auburn, California. Uh, today was sunny and beautiful uh, here. Um, it's uh, in, you know, wash your hands and show yourself. Yeah, Greg, go ahead. All right, everybody. Thanks again. And uh, we'll just announce right now, uh, she's on the call right now, Karen Bonet. She's going to be our next guest next Thursday. So uh, Karen. get ready for that. And uh, we'll be talking to her and, and also finding out what, uh, what makes her tick. So looking forward to that in one week's time. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, Karen, Karen is another really fountain of information uh, from anything from running to triathlon to Ultraman. Uh, we are definitely going to dig deep there and learn a lot about Karen and about how crazy to woman. get through <laughs> a lot of things in life. Yes. <laughs> yeah all right we'll see y'all then thanks a lot yeah thanks all all right thanks kelly thanks again bye-bye